0: Hello and welcome to Humanize the Hustle. I'm Alicia Slaughter and I created this podcast for health conscious corporate professionals, working parents, and entrepreneurs. Join me and special guests as we talk about the latest in mind-body wellness. Here we believe that health and happiness is non-negotiable. And just a reminder, this podcast is for the purpose of education only and is not a replacement for medical help. Please seek out the help of a trained professional for help with your specific situation. Okay, now on with the episode. Hey hey, friends, today I'm joined by Mariah Betancourt, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist to talk about how to work through the painful things that happen in our lives and help give them a purpose. We all experience pain from time to time, and it's really what we choose to do with that pain that can be really life-changing in a good way. I met Mariah through my sister-in-law, Jessica, many years ago. They were best friends growing up in Santa Cruz, and I connect on so many levels with her experience growing up in our small beach town. I've watched her go through some remarkable things in her life, and I've always respected and admired her. I'm so excited to have her here to share her expertise on mental health and hopefully share some of her personal story too. She's a Santa Cruz native who is now living in the Central Valley with her firefighter husband and three children. She has spent the last 10 years providing counseling services through nonprofit agencies that serve rural areas within the Central Valley and is currently working as a licensed clinician providing telehealth therapy to teens and adults. She is passionate about helping people normalize therapy and finding their journey to healing. Welcome, Mariah.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It's really an honor to be a part of this, and I look forward to seeing what we what we uncover
0: what we talk about. Well, we're going to get into it. And thank you so much for agreeing to do this with me. This is a really, really big, important topic in my life. And I know in so many people's lives. So let's get into it. Okay. So The first question I had for you is being a therapist, you're obviously a big proponent of talk therapy. And how did you end up taking this path?
1: Sure. Well, there's a few things that come to mind. The first thing I think about is as I was growing up, I had really big emotions. In fact, sometimes I still do. And I definitely am one of those people that you would describe as wearing your heart. on. Your, and so throughout my life, that that was sometimes a struggle. I've done a lot of work and learned how to accept and cope with my own emotions without feeling ashamed. But in doing that, I learned kind of how to accept, understand, and be more comfortable with emotions. So like I, I got to a place in my life where it didn't scare me to sit with somebody who was feeling sad or feeling angry. In fact, I began to consider it a great honor to be present and witness other people express their deep thoughts and emotions. So it just kind of became like a natural fit for me. I've experienced quite a few challenges throughout my life, and I've gotten to a place where these experiences have helped me to grow and have a deeper connection with suffering. These experiences also help me to have empathy for others who experience suffering. Losing my brother to cancer when I was in high school is definitely one of the most influential moments of my life. But having this experience, it has given me such a greater appreciation of life and pushed me not to take things for granted. This experience helped me to understand grief, which has helped me in my work as a therapist. I mean, I wish I could have learned these lessons in a different way without losing my brother. But that's the thing. His death was something that was completely out of my control. What was in my control was how I responded to the tragedy. And to be able to take the lessons from his life and death and then use it to have a positive impact on others really gave me a sense of purpose.
0: So to deal with your brother's death, did you utilize
1: therapy? I did at different times throughout my life. I've experienced therapy. Some of those experiences have been positive and some of them have not been so positive. And I think that that's something that I, you know, hopefully we can get into a little bit because I think that's an important thing for people to understand and not let that be a discouraging part of it.
0: Right. Don't give up if you don't make that connection
1: with somebody. Exactly.
0: Mm -hmm. What I love about what you just said is, and why I think you, although, you know, you're not my therapist, but what I, what I would guess makes you so relatable is that you've experienced so much of this and, and been through like the, you're talking about big emotions. Like I can definitely relate with that and, and having big emotions and then going through all the things, you know, that I know that you've gone through your brother's death being one of them and, Mm -hmm. and finding somebody who you could talk to that didn't. Make you feel like you were weird for having those emotions. I'm sure was such an important thing for you, and now you can give back and and find as you're talking to people and helping them deal with their emotions, like saying, "Hey, I totally understand. I've been through the same thing." And just finding somebody who hears and sees you, I mean, is like the biggest role you you take on as being a therapist, right? And and making people feel less shameful about those types of
1: things, right? No, absolutely, I. Constantly am engaging with people where they are questioning their sanity in a sense of like, what is wrong with me? Like, why do I feel this way? Because they've all they've got it all bottled up inside. And once they're able to say that out loud and hear someone else say, There's nothing wrong with you. You're experiencing like a, a either a traumatic event or a significant loss or whatever this big emotion is. And it's it's okay to feel that way. Like, and to just validate that, there's you can almost see. The calm, yeah and like this they take it, they exhale this deep breath because it's like, okay this i'm I'm gonna be okay, and it's okay that I'm feeling this way,
0: yeah, I know before when we talked, and there was something you said around validating the human experience, mm-hmm. I think at one point, and I really like that too. It's like we all feel so alone a lot of the time in our the way we process the human experience, but i I know that even in what you're just saying, like that validation that like no, it's not weird. No, this is totally normal. No, I talk to a lot of people that have the same exact feeling and just that validation of, of Mm -hmm. not feeling like such a weirdo (laughs) all the time
1: is so awesome. I always say, I mean, in addition to serving others, becoming a therapist has also been very helpful in my own kind of thought process and realizing that we're not alone. So many of us, I mean, you know, the specifics and the nuances of of what we're experiencing may be different, but those core emotions, that's part of the human experience. And we really are not alone in that.
0: Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, You know, we all experience these painful things, traumas, some, some people call them like the big T's and the little T's I've I've heard them referred to as, and, you know, our reaction to that and can be debilitating. So that pain that they cause in us can be debilitating. And so what are some of the techniques that you use to help people navigate through their pain when it does become debilitating?
1: Sure. Yeah. You know, I've come to a place where I finally recognize that pain is inevitable. It's part of that human experience. We try to avoid it. There really is no way around it. I recently watched a really phenomenal documentary by Jonah Hill. It's called Stutz. And in that, Dr. Stutz states that none of us are immune to pain, uncertainty, and hard work. And even with all my, you know, training and understanding, it really was profound for me to hear that spoken out loud. And it was so validating. It helped me understand that if we were unable to avoid pain, then what we actually need to do is learn how to lean into the pain, which is very challenging because it's a really vulnerable place for us to be. When I work with patients who are experiencing pain, I see sometimes oftentimes, how hard they're trying to avoid feeling the pain. They're trying to push it aside. Sadness, pain, suffering, they're all emotions that we seem to have a hard time tolerating. We do so much to avoid them. We distract ourselves. We keep ourselves excessively busy. We buy things. We use drugs and alcohol, we, whatever it may be to avoid those feelings. But what would happen if we took a moment to just be present and allow ourselves to lean into that pain? I think we sometimes fear like we're going to get stuck there. And I have not yet to come across anyone who gets stuck there. If we can start to build our tolerance for pain and not try to avoid it, we can actually move through it. And it's when we move through the pain and we get to the other side that we get to a place where we can learn and grow. And this can kind of lead us to that place of purpose that we're talking about. Yeah. We've got to move straight through it.
0: So as part of that process and you're working with someone who feels, I guess, you know, step one is like they feel resistant to the pain and then you work with them to not resist it and to know that they're, there's going to be this process of, of working through it. And then at some point, there's this change in relationship to the pain or hardship. And so it's maybe they start thinking like, hey, how do I use this to my advantage? Like, how does this become? Sometimes I think of it as like my pain is my superpower. And I know that maybe it's like kind of weird, but... I feel like, like you were saying, you know, I've been through a lot of stuff and it's all been really painful. And sometimes I I do like when I'm, when I'm in, when I'm in it, I'm feeling like really good about it. You know, I'm like, it is my superpower. It does make me special. It makes me more relatable or, or whatever it might be. So I call it like pain is a superpower, but like, how do you, how do you get to that way so that it's like working to your advantage? So it is like a superpower maybe.
1: Absolutely. I love that. I'm going to I'm going to borrow that. But yeah, it's really I think one of my most common techniques or things that we use in therapy is something a concept through cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. It's about reframing our thoughts. So, for example, if I hate my job and I dread going to work and I think about all and I focus on all the reasons why I hate my job, I'm going to feel dread and maybe anger and disappointment which then is going to also affect my behavior. If I can reframe my thoughts to say, you know what? This job provides a roof and a meal on my table and I actually really love my relationships with my coworkers, then it can start to create a shift in the the way that I feel. And when I feel different about being there, I'm going to behave in a different way. So there's this, you know, really close connection between our feelings, our behavior, or I'm sorry, our feelings, our thoughts, our feelings and our behavior. Sorry. Yeah. So in regards to pain, once we can start to reframe it, just like you have done in that, this is my superpower. This is, this is what it makes me relatable. This is what helps me to understand the human experience and understand others better. Like that is a way of reframing pain. No, it's not. An easy task. And for people that have experienced like significant trauma, I don't want it all to minimize their experience. So throughout my life, you know, I've had some good therapists and I've had, like I said, some not so good therapists. What I've also had though are some people that like stood beside me, encouraged me, cheered me on, cared for me without judgment. That is like a wonderful gift that people can provide. And so if you're able to find someone like that in your life, whether if it's your partner, a friend, a therapist, someone, it can really help to provide the space for us to reframe our thoughts around pain.
0: Yeah. And, and I especially think like, if you don't have a really strong family network, you know, where, you know, you don't like for me personally, my mom passed away and and my dad isn't like super available for me. And so like having somebody to talk to is so super important for me, like in a therapist way. And, you know, my husband can't be that person all the time. And like my kids definitely, you know, they're getting a little bit older, but I would never, you know, you can't rely on them. It's like, those are the closest people to me. So to have a person, and even with my kids being in therapy, it's like, I just want you to have a person that is your person that you can speak with, that you can say anything that you need to to them and that can just be there for you, so I really related with what you just said because everybody needs somebody to talk to, and I don't think it's like always the healthiest to rely on friends or family members or whatever because you just need someone that's not in the mix all the time
1: right right and and I think that you know unfortunately, you know our friends and our family they they want to fix things you know and that's that's something that i think is really it's it's i understand why people respond that way it's like our initial response but you know as a therapist we learn and are trained that that's not really our role here you know yeah. that's not my place and so you know our friends and our family maybe don't have that skill set yet and so they'll jump right into fixing which often feels invalidating and so it's not always the best place
0: yeah Something you just said reminded me of even, so me as a health coach, you know, in my role as a health coach or in my role as a manager at work or in my role as a yoga teacher, mm-hmm. I i like to think of it as that I'm, I'm holding space and I'm holding up a mirror. And, mm-hmm. you know, that mirror is only showing you, like, the best parts of yourself. And mm-hmm. so it's, like, things that you already know and mm-hmm. things that are already within you. But by holding that space, it helps those things bubble up more easily so that it's like you can realize things and you just need a safe space. You just need someone to hold that space for you non-judgmentally so that you can shine a light on the things that are inside you that maybe are hidden by programming or narrative or stories or your environment or whatever it is. But to find that person that can like shine the light back on you and be like, No, like all the answers are really within your heart. And I'm just going to sit here and hold space for you until you work it out, which is like so super helpful. And that's one of the things that I really like about therapy is that they are, you know, while you maybe sometimes get tired of having the same conversations over and over again, or, you know, it's really like you, you eventually will come up with the answers and they will sit there with you until you figure it out. But to expect someone else to fix it for you or to come up with the answers for you mm-hmm. is like, you know, is not really the path. And so it's a lot of people, even in yoga, they're looking for a guru or they're looking for a teacher. They're looking for someone to show them the path. And I like to kind of take give the power back and take the power back myself, knowing that like, you know, we we know there's just a lot of messy stuff covering whatever the answer is up. Absolutely. So anyways, a little yeah. side thing there, but I was yeah. as we were talking, I was thinking about that in my own life too. Absolutely. So another question I had for you is around showing up for someone who's struggling. I know you were saying, you know, a lot of times people that love us or when we love people, we want to fix things. And this has been a big thing I've learned as a parent is, oh. you know, most of the times my kids don't want to know what I think. They they just want me to to sit there and to show up for them. So You know, what are some of the things that you suggest for people who have loved ones that are struggling with depression or working through trauma or how do you, how do you be a good ally?
1: Sure. That's a great question. And I think you're spot on with that. It's been in my experience that most people are looking for a safe, non-judgmental place to open up about their feelings. I've seen so many people that come to therapy because one, they're typically, I've heard this from teenagers that their parent or loved one's emotional response to whatever it is they're sharing is very big and overwhelming. So the other reason that a lot of people come to therapy is that they don't want to worry or stress out their loved one with their problems. Like, I don't want to share with my mom that I'm feeling overwhelmed because then she will be overwhelmed. So that's where the therapy comes into place. Because one, I'm going to have, it's going to be a more controlled environment where I'm not going to have an emotional response to what you're saying in a way that is overwhelming. Number two is You don't need to worry about my feelings, right? I get to be here and provide that safe container. So what we need to do, and and also a judgment-free container, because that's the other piece, is that people often feel judged or worried how people will look at them if they share how they're really, truly feeling. Um, So if we want to help somebody who's struggling, we have to do our best to manage our own emotional response. We have to do our best to provide a safe and judgment-free space for them. And we have to be mindful of not letting it trigger our own worries or concerns. And so we need to do, in a nutshell, basically, we need to do better at allowing people to have their emotions. If my child comes to me and says they're sad about something, I don't need to challenge those emotions or convince them otherwise. We need to give them space to feel sad and help guide them through these emotions which requires us to learn how to tolerate our own emotions. I think that's the, the, really the key part there. So often we're uncomfortable with what some would refer to as negative emotions, things like sadness, anger, guilt. And so we work really hard to try to convince people about why they shouldn't feel that way. Oh, you shouldn't feel sad because you are such a wonderful person. And all of those things that we say come with good intentions because it's hard to see people that we love hurting. And we really want to help them feel better. But the reality is that it's not helpful. It's actually very invalidating. And so people need to hear that their emotions are valid. They need us to sit with them in their emotions. But again, the most important part of doing that is being able to learn how to tolerate even our own emotions so that we can sit in someone else's as well.
0: Yeah. Side note, like as a parent, that's like a really hard thing to practice because any emotions, sadness, discomfort that your kids feel. I feel like as a parent, you inherently like take that on. And it's so hard. Like it's been something I've been practicing is how to let my kids have big emotions without me feeling those big emotions too. And, you know, even if I, even if like on the outside, I'll sit there and I'll, you know, be like, yeah, okay. I will get so much anxiety sometimes just about their, their struggle. And so, yeah, I don't know, you know, what you could say about that or any tips for parents who, you know, have, cause children are just very emotional as you know, and they go through so many different things and being a parent and trying to just listen and, and then trying not to take that on. So maybe back to, you know, like if someone's struggling or your kids or your spouse or your best friend and. And you're trying to be an ally and hold space for them without taking it on. I mean, as a therapist, I mean, you must practice that all the time, too. Like, it's how, you know, how do you not take on other people's emotions?
1: Well, I think it goes back to that idea of not needing to fix it or we don't have to move away from it. Like, okay, this is sadness. Sadness is a normal human emotion. And it's okay and and we will get through this. This is temporary, right? We don't stay in that place forever. When we have big emotions or we have these experiences, I think it starts to feel like this is going to be never ending, but the reality is that it's not. And it and it we will move through it and get to the other side. And so knowing that this is temporary, this is a temporary place. Often, you know, we'll have something and then we'll go to bed and we'll wake up the next day and it feels different. Right? It's Everything
0: amazing. does feel a little bit more intense at night, right before you go to bed.
1: <laughs> is, right. And that's why that whole idea of like sleep on it. There really is some value in it sometimes to learn how to regulate our emotions. You know, there's even these, these beliefs that say things like, you know, there's not truth in some of the feelings that we're having. And yeah. I know that's confusing because it almost sounds like invalidating. I mean, what you're, what you're feeling is real, but it may not be true. So if yeah. I'm feeling oh my gosh, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I just screwed up like that. How embarrassing, you know, I'm an idiot. That's, that's not truth. That's a temporary emotion that I'm feeling. Obviously I need to do some work around how I feel about myself, but I'm not really an idiot. Yeah. you know. And so I don't, and so I start to kind of act and respond off of these emotions as if they are truth. Right. And so I think being able to remind our kids, sometimes we feel like an idiot. I, I hate using that word, but yeah. we really are not, you know? Yeah. And, and it is really difficult to hold space in those things. But I think if we, you know, an important skill is, you know, I'll have parents all the time, like, if, for instance, with grief, they'll say, like, well, I don't want to cry in front of my children. I don't want them to see me crying. I need to be strong for my children. No, you need, they probably are feeling the need to cry as well. We need to help model for them how do I grieve? How do I cry? It's okay to have these feelings and how do I work through them? If they never get to see that, how will they ever learn? Yeah. That's interesting.
0: I have a question about grief and my younger daughter's best friend passed away a couple, like a year and a half ago now. And her, the way that she's been grieving has been kind of an avoidance. Like she's been avoiding it and I had her in therapy and everything. And she just really doesn't seem like she wants to deal with it. And I guess you just have to allow that, right? Like, or or my, my perception of what it means to deal with something, you know, although, and she's just kind of ready to be like, you know, I just, she's ready to move on from it is what she says. And I guess, you know, I think her therapist was hoping that she would work through it a little bit more, whatever that meant. And I was kind of like, don't you want to work through it? And I think she's like, I really just want to move on and kind of get my life back to normal. And so that was really interesting too, you know, of uh, of just trying to figure out, you know, everyone deals with grief differently, I guess, is, is how Absolutely. what I'm trying to say. And it's just an interesting kind of thing of what does it mean to deal with it?
1: Truly. Exactly. Right. I mean, we have all these things that we say, like, you know, or we need to get over it, or we need to deal with it. And like, what does that even mean? And what does that look like? And it is very different and unique for each person. I think it's not uncommon to say like, not right now. And and we need to be able to respect that. You know, and do we, you know, you offered the services to her. She participated for, you know, whatever amount of time and then decided that she was, she was done at that moment and needed a break. And that's so great because she can advocate for her own needs. She feels safe enough to be able to say that. And she also knows that this here is available to me. Should I ever need it? I used to, I worked as a clinician on a school campus, literally was my goal was just, I want people to walk out of this, having a positive experience. So that I'm not gonna fix all their problems. I'm not gonna resolve this grief that they're having or whatever trauma they're having. But if they can walk away knowing that this is a positive, helpful, and healthy opportunity for me throughout my life, then when I'm ready again, I can pick it up and practice it. Right. Yeah. We can't force our kids to to do this work. Yeah. I've, I've had people that are in therapy because their parents are requiring them to, and it's usually not very effective.
0: Right right? You offer it up and say, this is here for you anytime you need it. And, and they have to want to do it. I a hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. I I felt like I was maybe putting a lot of like, you know, my stuff on her. And so it's been, but yeah, just, I was like, okay, that's, you know, I'm glad that you, that you made the decision you wanted to make. And I'm glad that you're feeling at a place where you're you're you know kind of ready to take a break and you're wanting to move and make some different changes and do different things i'm it's just like i said i'm like I'm an observer you know i'm like I just try to be a little a solid rock in her life where i don't judge her and kind of let her do her things but it's it's been a wild experience going through it with her and trying to just see see how she deals with it cuz it's so
1: different than i would you know sure and sometimes i might even add on to that like you know is it okay with you if we check in periodically about this Yeah. So that there's still that, like, it's okay to talk about it. You know, if right now it doesn't feel right, that's okay. But maybe later we can, we can check in and, you know, two, three months from now, I might check in, Hey, how are you feeling feeling for you? And there's, you know, there's a lot of like internal reflection that happens through grief as well. And so sometimes we need to just give space for that to occur.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's intense. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So. Let's say, you know, for for people out there that that are struggling, that are looking for help, or, you know, maybe, maybe you could approach this two different ways. So maybe as a, an adult that is struggling, that needs to ask for help, and maybe you can answer like, how does an adult who is struggling ask for help? And, you know, how do they approach that with their loved ones? Or, you know, how do they say, hey, I need some help finding a counselor, or, I'm struggling or like you know maybe some suggestions around ways that people can ask for help and then i also wanted to touch on as a parent how do you how do you approach your child you know like what would be your suggestion for approaching your child if you know your child's going through a hard time cuz a lot of the times they don't always know they don't ask for help but how do you open it up saying like hey if you if you need help you know like so maybe as how to ask for help if you are an adult looking for help and then how to Navigate your child getting help when they need help. I'd love to hear what you have to say about those two things.
1: Yeah, you know what? It makes it takes me back. The answer for both of them, in my eyes, is the foundation. Like yeah. we have to be talking about emotions. We have to normalize these conversations, not just when things are bad. So I, I you know, I cannot tell you how many times I get people in my office that have never experienced sharing about their feelings with other people in their family. Part of that is cultural, part of that is just we don't have the skill set, it's not something we've ever done, but the more that we can start just talking about our feelings, just even having the vocabulary to share and identify what we're feeling is going to give us the skills we need to ask for that help when it's time. I think learning how to teaching our kids, teaching ourselves how to be vulnerable and understand that we are social creatures. We are meant to be connected to one another. We're not meant to do this all alone. You know, I think about it like when, you know, if we're going to go to the gym for the first time and we've never exercised before, like we need someone to kind of guide us and lead us. And then then we can start to kind of build some skills and then do some of that independently. We need a sort of trainer. So, you know, our therapist can kind of become that trainer to help show us the way to express our emotions and, um, learn how to tolerate those emotions. And it takes time. You know, we, we, we don't go to the gym once, right. We gotta, we gotta do the work every day. And it's sometimes it's that getting that first step to getting into the gym is the hardest same for therapy. Like that first initial step. Yeah. It's rough for a lot of people, especially if they've never done it. But I think the more as a like society that we can share about how we're feeling provide the vocabulary. And, and so many of our schools are really doing tremendous work with this now. They're incorporating social, emotional learning into our classrooms, giving kids the vocabulary, just the fundamental vocabulary of how to express my feelings yeah. is is really helpful. So, you know, and, and I think if we have that foundation, then when we notice that our loved one is struggling, whether it be a teen or, or even ourselves, we, we have a common knowledge that we can share that we can help us. And, and it's never too late to do this. You know, yeah. I have 40, 50 year old, you know, men and women coming into my office that have never done this before learning how to tolerate it and and talk about it and knowing like, okay, that wasn't so bad. It actually feels sort of good. Yeah. Cause my- you have
0: to let it out. You can't right. keep it all inside to move through it. I do think you have to let it out.
1: Oh, absolutely. Because if we don't, that's when we start. I mean, I, there's such a mind body connection and we start to see disease and pain and other ailments occur that are so often connected with our kind of repressed emotions that we've been holding on to for so long.
0: Yeah. And And Another thing I was thinking about as we've been talking is that you were saying something about, you know, don't kind of question some of your thoughts and don't believe everything you think. And I think in therapy, it's, it's good because you can vocalize some of those thoughts and then you have someone actually questioning you absolutely and helping you question and getting used to that. Like, Hey, wait a second. Right. You know, hearing someone kind of get into that cadence with you of like, but wait, is that true? And like really questioning you because it's hard to question yourself because you really believe that voice in your head. And -hmm. to have that person that's like questioning for you, I think can teach you that skill of questioning things.
1: That's a great kind of reflection because you're absolutely right. We part also part of cognitive behavioral therapy is looking at cognitive distortions mm. it's kind of like things like all or nothing thinking or, you know very black and white rigid thinking i'm either successful or i'm a failure yeah which so many of us do we don't, we will only fit ourselves into one of those two categories well there's tons of room in the middle yeah and so cognitive behavioral therapy tells us like like okay well let's explore what's the evidence i have for this thought So if the evidence, if the thought that I have is that I'm a failure, like, do I actually have evidence for that, or is just that just something that I've felt because I wasn't yet in this successful category? Yeah, and then we can begin to kind of do that examination and look for the evidence and decide is this what I'm feeling really true? Mm -hmm. And that does it does help to have someone else reflect that back to us and ask those questions. I think, you know, one of the greatest skills as a therapist is not to speak necessarily, but to ask questions. Yeah.
0: And everyone I think can do a better job of that. I, you know, just be curious Mm -hmm. about someone and, and don't assume, don't assume, you know, just that curiosity. That's been a theme that even outside of this, I've been thinking about a lot of, you know, just going into m- any situation you have with curiosity rather than like, I know it's going to be this way, or I know it's going to be that way. And just with an open-mindedness of this, this could, this could be awesome, or it could go this way, or it could go that way. And kind of making life like a little bit more of an adventure rather than this cut and dry, having all these really, you know, expectations, just that curiosity and and openness. So I think, you know, as you're going through and talking with people, just, Teaching them to be a little bit more inquisitive and curious about things and open, I think is, is such a good skill to have for, for almost anything in your life too.
1: Just that curiosity. Well, right. And when we're, when we're working with our children and being able to, to be an active listener, that Uh means like having that curiosity and doing that.
0: So what do you wish more people knew about therapy?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, for me, it kind of goes back to something we've touched on a little bit that, you know, that your therapist is not there to fix you, you know, and it's going to be different for every therapist. It depends on their theoretical orientation and what, how they believe this process works. But for me, I definitely believe that the person I'm sitting with, they are the expert in their life. I am not the expert and I'm not there to fix things. And I think for a lot of people, they come into therapy and they get frustrated because they don't have that immediate fix. And it's hard, I get it and, and, and it's honestly sometimes challenging for me because I can see people suffering. I hear their suffering and I want to make it better for them, but I have to recognize I mean that's the human part of me yeah. right It's in the room. and but as a clinician, like that's that's not my place and that's not my job and it honestly is not something I can do. So I think people having a fair expectation of that when they come into therapy is helpful and can hopefully prevent some of that discouragement. I try to be really transparent with people in the beginning about that without, you know, kind of crushing their hopes that they're going to feel better really quick and really soon. You know, and I think there's definitely tools and things that we can do to help people feel some relief if they're having really significant symptoms. But, you know, it definitely is not a a quick and easy thing.
0: Right. And and would you say it's like, where people are really going to find progress are the things that they incorporate that they learn in therapy outside of the therapist's office it's like would you say it's the things that happen kind of in between sessions
1: yeah that absolutely are important right well and i think you know one of my goals for people when you know in therapy is like How can we help people to find a different perspective to look at things, you know, almost like put a new pair of glasses on and to be able to look at these situations in a different way. And so by presenting those ideas, then right, we, in between sessions, we, we go out into the world and we have these interactions with people and, and we start like reflecting back on it and thinking, Oh, this is what, this is what we were talking about. Oh gosh, you know, I'm feeling really triggered right now. What's going on? Like, you know, how, you know, am I looking at this in a way that's harmful for me right now. How could I reframe this? You know, going back to those thoughts, feelings, behavior. So yeah, there's a lot of work that's done outside of the therapeutic room.
0: Yeah. And, and I, I know that when we were chatting back and forth, you know, something came up around like health and, and exercise and wellness and, and all of that. And, do you like, what are the natural modalities that go well with therapy? You know, it's like, do you know what else? And like, maybe it's getting back to the point of like, it's all, you know, only so much can happen inside the therapist room or inside that hour long Mm -hmm. container that you have. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: a lot of the progress is going to happen outside of that room in the day to day in, in the practices that you are you know and that that person's doing every single day so like how important do you think like health and wellness and all the things that i'm super into are you know
1: help move forward oh, tremendous you know and i think we take for granted the the importance and the value in these things sometimes i feel you know like people are wanting this magic fix and i think like how is your nutrition how is your movement how is your sleep How is your ability to cope with stress? Like these are the the, really the most important things that we can look at. The things that are mostly under our control too. So much about our environment is outside of our control. Other people's behavior, trauma, our family system. What things we can control is, is all of those that we mentioned. And so, you know, when life starts to feel overwhelming and and spiraling out of control. I like to kind of remind people, like, okay, let's go back to the basics here. What? Yes, there's a lot of things going on here, but what can we control? Let's walk away with something that we can do today, which could be as simple as I'm going to step outside on my lunch and get some fresh air and take a walk. Like, and and I will have people come, and I, I think they kind of look at like, really, that's all you? know, but you know, like, are you practicing that? And then they come back and they're like, oh my gosh, I feel so much different. Yeah. It's a reset. It's a, you know, I'm nourishing my body. Now, and and I get it. These things are very difficult to do when we're suffering with things like depression and anxiety. We're asking people to do the thing that feels the most unnatural in that moment. Because in that moment, I want to curl up in a ball and not get out of bed and just shut down from the world. We have to get to a place. And that's where I think therapy is helpful in helping people push past that path of least resistance, that easy kind of like, I want to give in to my desires right now and just stay in bed and say, you know what, in the long run, if I get up and I go outside and take a walk, my mood is going to be different.
0: It really is such a mood booster, just a simple walk. Right. Right. Really just gets your blood flowing. It gets like clean oxygen in your lungs. I am a fan of walking for sure. I've clocked some miles. Another thing I wanted to ask you about was, you know, trauma informed is, is kind of a buzzword right now. And, and what, so what does it mean to be trauma informed as a therapist and, and why is that important?
1: Right. Okay. So trauma informed, it is a buzzword. And basically what it means is that we're able to recognize the signs and symptoms of trauma. So and it, and it what's important is that by recognizing the signs and symptoms of trauma, we can identify possibly when it's when we have someone who's been a victim of trauma and we can maybe modify the way that we respond to them. Because there are going to be unique needs that they have. You know, we hear a lot about trauma-informed care like in medical offices or other places where, you know, we need to empower people and Ask for permission before we touch their body in a way, you know, Mm -hmm. even if it's a hand on the shoulder, like people need to feel empowered when they've been victimized in their lives. So trauma-informed knowledge means like we provide safety. So that's emotional and physical. Like I mentioned about touch, we can provide trust. We work in collaboration. So this is like your voice matters here and we're going to work together and helping to empower people. Because often when people have been victims of trauma, there is a sense of power that's been taken away. Um, So the goal is to provide safety, but also most importantly, not to re-traumatize. Yeah, And I think that's a really fine line sometimes. We want to support, we want to ask questions. I think, you know, our law enforcement officers have been very well trained in how to understand trauma and that's my hope that they're, mm-hmm. that they're being trained in that and that they it just, in even questioning people that we don't want to re-traumatize people. So, you know, I saw it a lot of times in the schools that I worked in, you would have somebody, you know, a, a student who was maybe disconnected, isolating, refusing to participate in class, which means the teacher's not able to do their job, right? They're not able to teach and to learn. But when we learn and maybe find out, we hear, okay, so this student has been wit- witnessing domestic violence in their home every day, so it's this reoccurring trauma. So when we understand this, what we can do is and and maybe looking for those clues, okay, there's isolation, there's disconnection, you know, could there be something going on here, lack of eye contact, things like that? Now we can approach this child in a different way, so we may change the tone of our voice, we may change, adjust the volume. We can recognize also that that student staying quiet has been a coping strategy that they've utilized their whole life. If I stay quiet and I stay small, I won't get hurt. Yeah. And now they're displaying that in the classroom, which can be frustrating for a teacher, but it's not okay for us to rip away that coping strategy. Right when he doesn't have any other way of coping, he or she doesn't have any other way of coping. So trauma-informed care is gonna take all of that into consideration. And boy, I mean, I give huge respect to our teachers that are battling with these things along with their students while trying to maintain these educational standards and, and do their job. And it is not easy. Just thinking that as you were
0: talking about that and even you know, being Ooh. a, so you were a school counselor?
1: Yeah, yeah, I was a therapist. Oh. Like, School campus um, Wow,
0: I mean the things that you must have seen must have been pretty or talk to kids about or you know whatever it may be, and even being a teacher as you were talking about that that would be so challenging to you know be picking up on on things that you knew were going on at home and then having that kid leave your classroom to go home every day.
1: Mm-hmm. oh boy,
0: our teachers right. are doing amazing, amazing hard things without enough support. But that's another podcast, I think.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yay for our teachers out
0: there. Yeah. Big yay for our teachers. So as the last question here for this podcast and the session, what would you say to someone that is resistant to get help?
1: I think I would validate and normalize their resistance. I mean, this is hard work. This is tough stuff. And like we've said, you know, many of us are not equipped with the tools to work through our emotions. So it's a new kind of foreign concept for us. So to be vulnerable and transparent is really difficult. And I think we, for a lot of people, they've worked so hard their whole lives to avoid expressing those emotions. And so, you know, it's almost like they don't want to be seen in a way. And so, when actually does see you like in a therapeutic setting, it can be really overwhelming. So, I would say to encourage people and validate yes, this is difficult work. Yes, it can be overwhelming, but it also can be very nourishing if we can just give it a chance and, you know, allow ourselves to kind of experience it for the first, maybe for the first time, or maybe there was a bad experience before and just try to connect in a new way. Might create a different outcome, and just being open to that, I guess, you know, and
0: keep trying because health and happiness is non-negotiable. That's that, the that's right. the, the punchline for my podcast. So
1: it that is, perfect is punchline, <laughs> yeah. Like, right, like to just not give up on it, and you know, you never know how it may turn out. You can learn some new things about yourself. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm constantly learning every day. Right. You know. There, and,
0: there's a beautiful, happy life out there for all of us and we can't give up, that's for sure. Absolutely. Mariah, thank you so much for your time today and, and sharing all of your wisdom and guidance. I've really enjoyed talking to you so much. Thank you, Alicia. I'm honored. Thank you. thank you for listening to Humanize the Hustle podcast. If you would like to get in touch with the show, email me at at gml.com or follow me on Instagram at Alicia. And if you like the show, please share it with someone you love and make sure and give us a five-star review. Talk to you next time. And remember health and happiness is non-negotiable.